I have three kids who don't fit molds. Yeah. And the, and systems and society and narratives that have been whispered in my ears my entire life. Yeah. It's so hard to let go of that and to uproot all those. Welcome to Cultivating the Lovely. I'm your host, Mackenzie Coppa. You can find out more about the podcast at cultivatingthelovely.com in our Yellow Brick Road membership community at patreon.com slash cultivatingthelovely and in our Facebook group. I would also love to connect with you on Instagram where you can find me at Mackenzie Coppa. That's M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E-K-O-P-P-A. Ladies, the tone of today's show is a little bit different than normal. We are dealing with some weighty topics and things that I think we really need to be giving some thought to, especially in regards to our motherhood and how we're raising our kids and how we're even interacting with the world. On today's show, I have Heather Avis, and we are talking about her new book, Scoot Over and Make Some Room. Heather is an adoptive mom of two children who have Down syndrome and one who is ethnically diverse. And so we talk a lot today about disability how people can address them who are not dealing with them and interact with moms of children who have disabilities or are ethnically diverse. And also, I think there's some great information in this show for moms who have children who have disabilities. But I also think it's an important episode because we talk about things that tie all moms together, no matter what your life looks like, how we all are in need of community and a tribe and people who understand where we're coming from. And I think that this episode was able to bridge the gap a little bit in the differences between all of our different types of motherhood, which I think is really exciting and interesting and important. So I hope you really enjoy this episode that I have with Heather and you're able to glean something really valuable from it. But before we get to that episode, I do want to mention that we would love to have you come join us in Patreon this summer. We are really focusing on rest and resting well, not just sleeping more, but actually looking at what it takes to be able to be well rested and kind of even hacking our lives so that we are able to rest well and be more productive in the time that we have. And one of the ways that we are talking about that is really kind of dissecting our cycles as women and what that really looks like for us in terms of the differences from week to week throughout the month and how we can best be paying attention to that and utilizing that. So if you would like to hear the ongoing conversation that we have going on about that, we want you to come join us in Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash cultivating the lovely. You can even join at just the $3 level where that gets you into our Facebook group where I am doing more lives and we are having these ongoing conversations about how this impacts our lives as women and how we can rest well. So if you would like to join us, come over to patreon.com slash cultivating the lovely. We would love you to be part part of our tribe over there and get in on that discussion. But for right now, let's jump in with Heather Avis. Welcome to the show, Heather. Thanks, Mackenzie. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I am really excited to have you on today because this is kind of one of those topics um, in general that has been requested of me a lot. And we've kind of hit it on it in other ways in the past, but motherhood that isn't typical motherhood, <laughs> you know, <laughs> motherhood that's dealing with things that are a little bit more outside the box. Um, and they present different challenges than than just like typical motherhood does. And I know that there are so many moms out there, as you allude to in your book, that 
you know, you found now through the World Wide Web, but they can be hard to find in person. But there are so many moms dealing with a story that isn't just like your, your regular story. And they want these kinds of resources to be able to connect with. And, and your message for this is so important. And so I'm so excited to be having you on because I think you do a really good job of talking about it in your new book, Scoot Over and Make Some Room. So to get rolling, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Thank you. Thanks for that kind intro. Um, so yes, I am a mom of three. I've been married to my husband for 17 years and I was 20 when we got married. So I'm not that old, still very yeah. young. Thank you. Yeah. But we were like wee babes when we got yeah. married. Um, and then we have three kids all through adoption and it's a long story. I have another book, my first book called The Lucky Few. I tell mm-hmm. the whole story in hundreds of pages. So I don't think we have time for the long version here, but all three, we live in Southern California. All three of my kids were born in Southern California in different cities and came to us in very different ways. Um, My oldest and my youngest have Down syndrome and my middle daughter is a different ethnicity. My husband and I are both Caucasian and she is Guatemalan and African-American. Okay. Um, My oldest is 11. Her name is Mason. My middle daughter is eight. She's truly and my youngest is my son, August, who's five. And so yeah. And so we, my husband and I both run a social advocacy brand called The Lucky Few with an emphasis in shifting the Down syndrome narrative. Mm-hmm. So my title, I've given myself the title of narrative shifter and nice. a shouter of worth. Yeah. Um, and we're both full-time stay-at-home parents and full-time running a business. So awesome. it's pure madness over in our neck yeah. of the woods. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. This interview, I guess, will come out in a couple of weeks from when I'm recording it. But I'm, you know, stay at home, work at home mom. Mm-hmm. And my kids just got out for school and I used to homeschool mm-hmm. them. And now it's like this, this transition of like, oh, I have to do this with you guys like here all the time. Oh, mm-hmm. what? what? I know. I know. Yeah. I know. We just, yeah, summer just started for us and we had the kids got out on a Thursday and then the next Monday we went to family camp for a week. And it was a working trip for us just because we're in the middle of launching a book. So yeah. but the kids were like taken care of during part of the time. And then we got home with, and we've only been home for two days and we're like, okay, I know <laughs> yeah. that we count down for summer. We're like, can't wait for summer. Come yeah. summer. Like, let's get out of school. And we're like, oh my gosh, who's going to watch these kids? <laughs> yeah, I know. I was, it was who's the first, charge? yeah, it was the first real year for me where I was like, I looked back and I was like, how did I do this every day, <laughs> all day long? I mean, granted, I wasn't like trying to be the full income provider at the time also, mm-hmm. but still I'm just like. Uh, new countdown. <laughs> right. Seriously. <laughs> oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's good. It's a, it's it's a blast. Yeah. Yeah. For so sure. to get started with, because like you said, you have another book out already. I always think it's fun to kind of hear the backstory on how you became an author. What happened? How did all of that work out that you ended up being able to write these books? Yeah, I kind of, I feel like um, it snuck up on me. I wasn't pursuing a career as a writer and an author, but I can look back in my childhood. Like I entered all of the writing contests in elementary school mm, Yeah. Um, in college. I didn't have a minor, but my emphasis was um, creative writing. And so I took all those classes just because I loved to write. And that was my only reason. And then in 2008, our daughter came home. Mm-hmm. And I started a blog as all women in America did in yep. 2008. <laughs> yep. 
I'm not a type A. I'm not a kind of personality. I'm not a good planner. So like a baby album was not going to happen. Yeah. And so, but it was a way of like, we took pictures, we could document her life. The grandparents could look at it. And I just started writing about her life. And as a child who has Down syndrome, it was, it was just different than a lot of other of my mom friends realities mm-hmm. in their day to day. So I did that. And then Instagram came out and I started an Instagram account called Macy Makes My Day at the time. She's my only daughter. And it was like a picture a day, like a glimpse into the life of raising a child with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, and that got bigger than we anticipated. And then from that, I got this Facebook message in like my spam account because it's yeah. when I followed on Facebook. Yeah. And I, I opened it up like a month after she sent it. This woman, she's yeah, because my... you were even lucky to find that you got those messages. Totally, yeah, exactly. And I, yeah, I, I like opened up and reading all these things. I'm like, there's this message from this woman, Lisa, and she works for a publishing house, and she wants me. She wants to be interested in writing a book. Um, so, anyways, she and I—it's a very long story—but she ended up becoming my literary agent. She left the publishers that she worked with. She was the head of um, nonfiction acquisitions, and then she wanted to work more closely with authors, so she became an agent. Awesome. And I stuck with her, and then we got a book deal. I mean, there's like so many crazy pieces that yeah. fell into place that were totally out of my hands. But I thought that'll be fun, right? Like that's a yeah. fun thing. And for anyone who's written a book, it's like fun isn't a word you describe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once I've done it, I'm like, oh, I don't know that fun is the right word. There's yeah. a lot of positive things about it, but fun, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. So I think because of my large Instagram following, which it's now the Lucky Few official, we've switched up the name of the account, that the publishers felt like it was worth the risk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a huge part of it for sure. Yeah, definitely. And then I met some, I had a really um, life-changing trip where a good friend of mine is a singer, songwriter, musician in the Christian world, um, a pretty well-known. And she invited me on a trip with a bunch of really well-known authors who I had been admiring for years. And so we spent a week together in the Holy Land and it was right when my book was being um, looked at by different publishing houses. And two of the women who are New York Times bestsellers and have just been very successful, they contacted, without me knowing, they contacted their editor, who's at Zondervan, who's my publisher, and said, hey, we met this girl and you should publish her book. We'll endorse it. And did it. Well, that, that so, helps. And, oh my gosh. Yeah. It was a game changer. So they contacted yeah. us and they're like, you know, these people spoke really highly of you and we'll take a risk. So there were just That's like awesome. different, different things that happened for me to be able to have the opportunity because I know so many people have written books and are trying to get it in front of publishers. Like I feel really, really lucky. Um, yeah. and it's not wasted on me, you know, that it yeah. was like, this is a rare thing and I want to steward it well. And I'm super, super thankful and humbled by it. That's awesome. Yeah. What an incredible opportunity. And For sure. how awesome of those women to, to do that. I know. To, I know. to have that same humbleness to be like, we want to support somebody else. We want to promote somebody else's work. That's really cool. Yeah, for sure. So you did the first book and then it was a lot of work <laughs> and then you decided to do it again. How I did know. that happen? <laughs> um, I don't know how I wrote my first book. I was full-time stay-at-home mom and then I just did it. It's crazy. I didn't think I had another story to tell. And I think that that is such a lie that we tell ourselves, even if we're not authors, we're not doing anything of great importance that the world should know about. Mm -hmm. I think everybody has a really important story that should be told and should be heard and that our lives are constantly changing. Our stories are constantly unfolding day by day. So it's never over, you know? 
Yeah. And I just, with this next book, my first book is a memoir. It's just our story through adoption and you can get a glimpse into our relationships with birth parents and my kids with Down syndrome had open heart surgeries and just all of those pieces and, and how it's changed my life. And then it kind of ends with my kids are little um, and they're still little 10, eight and five, but we definitely different season. season. It's a totally different season. And so then we're now stepping into schools and churches and dance studios and our community with these kids who are different and who are marginalized and pushed aside in their own unique ways. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as their mom, that's unacceptable. And so I've stepped into spaces with a different perspective and with a, a message of, hey, my kids are worthy to be everywhere that everyone else is and the world's going to have to adjust for them. Like yeah. we, they, they do enough adjusting on their own. And so I'm living this message out and then talking to friends about it, sharing it on social media. And it's like, oh, this is actually a message that the whole world needs to hear. And yeah. while I'm still in a space of listening and learning, you know, I, I feel like it's interesting as a writer, there's a good chance in 10, 15, 20 years, I'm going to read what I wrote and be like, oh, that was a mistake, <laughs> you know, but that shouldn't stop me from sharing what I know now. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so yeah. So I just one day called my agent and said, I think I have an idea for a book. And she's like, I love it. Let's do it. And so that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And it's definitely this, this message especially is so worthy. I mean, like I mentioned to you before, I have a different experience with just disabilities and that sort of thing, but my brother has spina bifida. Mm-hmm. And he had pretty severe scoliosis and, and different, I mean, crazy amounts of surgeries and, you know, all kinds of things over the years. He's got Arnold Chiari on top of it. Like he didn't just get <laughs> spina bifida. He got like spina bifida and all the add-ons that you yeah. could put with it, you know? And so I have a different perspective as a sibling having grown up with it, but having seen the challenges that he's had as, and he's now, you know, a grown man to hear a book like this is like, yes, <laughs> yes, because there are so many things that I wish were being addressed when he was younger and yeah. things that he still faces. You know, I have walked into places where he's interviewed for jobs and been so obviously discriminated against mm. because they assumed things because he was in a wheelchair or, you know, there, this message as much as things have become more normal and they've gotten better. It's, we still have so far to go. We have a really long way to go. We can do much, much better. Yeah. Yeah. And so looking at your story and the way that you've presented it, it, I kind of like have a sigh of relief. Like, okay. (laughs) It's like, it's getting out there. Like people, people find it important and are getting the word out to, to the regular moms who need to be able to teach their kids how to leave space, to make space, to, to open their arms. And so I'm so excited for this conversation today, but I want to even start from, okay, I'm going to start from when I was reading the beginning of the book, I was like, oh girl, I get you. (laughs) Like when you're talking about like, nobody has to wonder what you're thinking that is so me I even just had a friend last week who was like telling me oh I'm gonna invite you to this birthday party of like my brother-in-law and you won't know anyone there I was like um 
that sounds horrible. I'll come, <laughs> but I'm really super scared about it. And that is super uncomfortable for me. She was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you just said that to me. Like, I can't believe you just told me that. She said, I just would have found some excuse to not come. I wouldn't have like actually told you that is horrible. <laughs> and oh, that is cracking up. She was like, I love that you'll just tell me that. But I didn't even think like, there was another option. Like that was just, I didn't have to think about like, I'm going to be really honest right now. (laughs) Right. Right. I know. I feel like there's just not enough time in the day to have to think about that. Like I will tell you with grace and love how I feel. And I expect you to do the same with me. Like people in the hardest relationships for me are people who are try like try to beat around the bush or try to like, like try to not hurt my feelings to, and like avoid the main point. I'm like, just get to the main point. We're adults here. We'll figure this out. Like I'm not very offendable. I'm, but I also need to remember to be gentle with other people, which I talk about. I talk about later in the book, I talk about like, there are Sriracha mamas and marmalade. Yes. Oh, I have notes about that. (laughs) Yeah. And we are a Sriracha. I am a Sriracha mama with the Sriracha family, but you've got to figure out how to intermingle the two. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And this has come up on the podcast a few times lately, but all my good friends are twos on the Enneagram okay. and I'm a three. Okay. And so I've always said like, they're the sweet moms and I'm the spicy one. And I always <laughs> felt a little like, I guess it takes that much sweetness to like calm down, <laughs> offset the spiciness that I bring yeah, to that things. Funny. So that's interesting. Cause I am a two on the Enneagram. Oh, weird. But, yeah. But, yeah. um, twos go to eight and stress. Eight yes. is challenger. So yeah. Two is helper. Eight is a challenger. And I think because of the work that I do and because of yeah. just yeah, the role that I've chosen to step into that I'm always in stress. And so my goal, yeah. <laughs> my goal is to like figure out how to be a healthy version of an eight, yeah. right? Like what is, yeah. how do, how do I simultaneously be a two and be in a space that feels, that pulls me into like that number yes. as oh. a challenger. So I get mistaken as an eight all the time. That's funny. But I know for a fact, I'm not to all my friends out there who are listening. <laughs> talked yeah. about this. I'm still, I'm still sure and convinced I've done the work anyway. That's, that's funny. So funny. Yeah. And like the thing about people like getting frustrated with other people not being real. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I lived real candid moment here. I lived with my parents for basically a year and a half after I had to leave my marriage. And my parents are a six and a nine on the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like the whole time I'd be standing between them like, can I just interpret for the both of you <laughs> what you actually mean to be saying That's to each awesome. other? Because awesome. you're driving me crazy. Like, just oh, say, say what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Say the thing. Yes, yeah. I get that, girl. Okay, so good. Yeah. We're going to get that in this podcast. We will say yes. The- <laughs> yes. say the thing. So I just, I mean, I loved it right from the get-go because yeah. it was like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'm like fist pumping my chest. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get you. <laughs> That's so, so me. I get it. And, and also the part where you talk about how in your 20s, you knew it all. (laughs) And then you got to your 30s and you're like, oh wait, uh, not so much. And I have very much had that same experience as well. Like I thought I had it down. I thought I knew how to parent. I thought I, you know, I thought knowing that cloth diapering was the best thing in the world was- was. When when you're 20, it is the best thing. Yes. And that was like going to shape my children's whole future. And, uh-huh. you know, now four kids later with a 13 year old oh, dear. at 35, I'm more like, yeah, that was great, but it wasn't like a hill to die on, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I mean, so many things like that. And so I loved reading a book by somebody 
who gets that and can admit it and seeing that difference like when you're in your 30s. And I know that there are women listening to this show right now who are like, uh-uh, I'm 24 and I know it all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I get you. And I'm sorry to offend you because I would have been offended if someone <laughs> exactly. told me like, no, you don't. But just, you know, get to 35 and then we'll talk and you'll be like, <laughs> hey. But yeah, I loved the book written from that perspective. But you talk about, kind of already mentioned, that gentleness mm. aspect. And when we, a lot of times I think it starts out with ourselves. It, it ended up going to other people that I felt this, you know, diehard conviction about cloth diapering because I wasn't having any gentleness or grace with myself mm. to allow that to not be an option either. And so when mm. you brought up how gentleness with ourselves brings healing to ourselves and also gentleness to others and healing towards others, I thought that was so powerful. Mm. So do you want to talk about that? Um, I was a really judgy mom. And even with having a kid with different ability, I before I had kids, I was a nanny and I can like think mm -hmm. of times that I like judged the mom whose yeah. kids I was helping with. Like I knew, I didn't know any different. I didn't know any better. Um, and I felt like there, there was a better way to parent. Yeah. And it did look like staying home full time. That was a big conviction yeah. on my heart. And I was real judgy about that. Like if you, yeah. and especially if you are a Christian and you love yes. the Lord, Yes. You should stay home full time with your kids. Why in the world would you let someone else raise your kids? Why have kids if someone yeah. else is going to raise your kids? Like, yes. Yes. You know? And you should love it and you should never need yeah. break and you should be super good at it. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And then it's like, I, um, God brought really great women into my life who some of them are single moms who have to work with the sole breadwinner. Like the fact that I had this idea that being a stay-at-home mom was the ultimate end-all be-all is such a narrow-minded, privileged idea mm -hmm. that that's just not an option for a lot of women. And then I knew women who had insane amounts of money, their husbands had incredible successful jobs, and they still chose a full-time nanny, a full-time house cleaner, and to go to work full-time. Mm -hmm. And like that, it took me a while to realize like, oh my gosh, you know what? They're actually a really good mom. And that's yeah. what they're choosing. I'm not choosing that but I'm not better for my choice, you know? And it, yeah. and like women who, um, like they need, there's two income families. And I used to think, oh, I, well, why don't you then live in a little one bedroom shack, you know, like change your mm -hmm. life so drastically. So you don't have to have two incomes, but that's just not what works for their family. So it's been so great to see, to have different women in my life who have been gentle with me too. And like, having to learn these lessons that yeah. there's lots of different ways to be a mom and my way is what's best for me. That's why I do it. Right. Like yeah. I'm choosing to be home full time with my kids because that's what's best for me, but that doesn't mean it's what's best for others. And it took me so many years to stop projecting my ideas of, of how to be a good mom onto others yeah. and instead to like, listen, but like you said, the idea of gentleness that that allows me to be more gentle with myself. Um, yeah. and and I do think though that it takes it not for everybody, but there yeah. is this like consistent story of multiple kids, you know, and not that yeah. single one, like only children, families can't have these things, but yeah. those Pampers commercials, have you seen? <laughs> or these? Loves. Is it <clears> loves, or loves Pampers? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're brilliant. Whoever, yes. whatever it is, I will, we will buy those diapers, even though we don't know the brand, but yeah, the, uh, between the two of us. But yeah, like the idea of, you know, your first kid and you've got all the gear and the stroller and all the things. And then the second kid, she like walks out of the house and grabs a handful of Cheerios off the counter and sticks yes. in her pocket. It's yes. so real. But all my friends who are first time moms, 
you got to go through it, you know, yeah. like you can't just get to the next thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I loved in the, the chapter where you were talking about pee and how you just kind of end up <laughs> getting over it because I so remember after my second son and I'd been totally peed on and I remember just looking at my shirt and going, eh, it'll dry. Whatever, whatever. Right. Yep. Yeah. It'll dry. And kid, little kid pee is not that smelly. If so, yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. And I, but it's like, you've got to get there, you know, yeah. and that's been such a lesson for me in my motherhood is you can't just jump to that space. Yeah. You have to do the learning and you have to do the work. And, you and I hate that. It. It's the worst. Yeah. It's the worst, but it's that refining that has to happen through experience and through um, different situations that gets you to the place you need to be. And, and I think the lesson for me that I've learned the most is that it doesn't ever stop. Like I'm still yeah. in that refining. I'm still in that learning everyone around me knows more than I do. And like that posture has been so helpful for me yeah. in, in learning. Like I think being a learner as a mom is so important. Yeah. Ladies, we all know that part of adulthood is having to do things that you don't really want to do. For instance, cooking approximately 8,000 meals a day or cleaning up after everyone and all of their things or working late, or getting life insurance. But another part of adulthood is learning to delegate what you hate. And while you can't delegate a visit to, say, your in-laws, you can definitely delegate life insurance shopping. Enter Policy Genius. Policy Genius is the easy way to shop for life insurance online. In just two minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. I went through this process. It was super simple. Their website is sleek. It's really well done, and they aren't going to bug you a bunch afterward once you put in all of your information. They're really just going to give you the info that you need. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape. No sales pressure and no hidden fees, just financial protection and peace of mind. I really like that they promise that nobody is going to be calling you and hounding you. They're just trying to get you the help that you're looking for. And Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy. They can also help you find the right home insurance, auto insurance, and disability insurance. So if you need life insurance, but you just don't want to deal with all the legwork, head to policygenius.com. It's the easy way to compare all the top insurers and find the best value for you. Policy Genius. Delegate what you hate, especially if you hate getting life insurance. And I think that is really like kind of the pinnacle of this stage is realizing like your 20s, you think you know it all. And then your 30s, you realize, or if it's not related to age, just kind of like as your kids go along, you know, you realize you have so much to learn. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, a definite change in posture and it changes the way you address things and it changes how you address other moms. And then I love how you also talk about how, I think this is a direct quote from your book. I <laughs> scribbled it down as I was going, but we let go of who we expect our kids to be yeah. and allow them to be exactly who God intends them to be. Yep. And when that can pass on to our kids as well, that is super powerful. Oh my gosh. It actually just made me tear up. That's so crazy because I feel like it's a constant reminder. I have three kids who don't fit molds Yeah. and, and systems and society and narratives that have been whispered in my ears my entire life. Yeah. It's so hard to let go of that and to uproot all those. Yeah. And like that I freaking adore my kids exactly as they are. And I still almost daily feel the need to change them for yeah. society. And it is, oh, it's brutal. And yeah. And like such an important lesson to be like, as I'm gentle with myself, I can be gentle with my kids, you know, and let yeah. them be fully who they are 
even though and yeah. even when, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I know. I mean, my, my oldest, it's, it's not the same thing, but it is that like letting go of your expectations for your kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has dyslexia and that constant, like I was a homeschool mom. I always thought we would come to that day where it just, the lights turned on and mm-hmm. he could read all the crazy amount of words a minute and that it would, then we wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. And mm-hmm then you get to that point where you realize, oh, that's not ever going to go away. Right. Like we're going to have to keep working on this and keep working through it and keep making accommodations and, and letting, and not, not holding it against myself, not holding it mm-hmm. against him mm-hmm. and learning how to just to, to cope and deal and make the best of it is, is not easy. But when I can do that and allow him to be just who God made him to be, it takes so much of the stress off. Totally. And yeah, it's so true. And and it makes me think about, I mean, with my kids, all three of them, but with my kids who have Down syndrome, when I feel like there is that missed expectation, right? Like you're saying that he's going to read this way, or he's going to learn this way for your son, or my kids are going to be a certain way. And Mm -hmm. then they're not. And then to be able at the end of that day, at the end of it all to look at them and go, oh my gosh, but they're incredible creations of God, Yes, you know? And, and like those things that you get caught up on, like your example with the reading a certain amount. So your kid can't do that. So wait a second. Does that change his value and worth? Right? No, of course not. But it's a hard for me because my kids are so different. It is a daily discipline or like a daily reminder of, wait a second, we didn't meet the certain expectation, Mm -hmm. but my kids are that doesn't change their value and worth, like going back to that. And it's been such a gift as a mom to be able to see how to measure the value and worth of a human, right? Like my kids have taught me that and to get out of that, um, like the dizziness of, well, our kids need to be A, B, C, and D, A, B, C, and D all day long. And then if they're not, like, what is that? Where does that leave us all? You know, well, yeah. it leaves us with an incredible human being that's fully valuable and fully worthy as is, yeah. as my kids are, as I am, you know, as a mom and in the space I'm in. So you talk about the importance of finding your people and how that was probably even more important for you than, I mean, all moms need friends, but especially when you're going through something that not everybody is going through, there's just such a camaraderie that you find when you find those people who get it. Mm -hmm. Would you talk about that for a minute? Yeah. I think that um, motherhood can be one of the loneliest things we do, even no matter which space you find yourself in. Yeah. I think it's because it's all consuming and it's hard to look outside of it. And so you just can feel alone. And then when you're raising a child who has some difference, it really is lonely. Like it's legit lonely because you look around you're like, oh, dang it. Nobody here can understand what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I have found that it is so unbelievably important to have people in your corner and in your life, and maybe even people you can be doing life with, depending on proximity, Mm -hmm. who are in a similar situation as you. So for us, it means having families who have kids with Down syndrome, like that extra chromosome is so magical. And I run a retreat for moms who have kids with Down syndrome and we get together a couple times a year. And, um, the way that it works is only 26 people can come because of the sleeping situation. And mm-hmm. you get 26 women who are almost all of us are strangers, but we have that one commonality and we're so different from different parts of the nation. Sometimes people come from Canada, different parts of the world. 
And it's like the power of the me too, right? And I know the me too has become a whole other movement, but even just that idea of, yes, I get it. I get the body training. I get the sleep stuff. I get the heart surgery. I get the fact that when people look at my kid a certain way, it makes me feel this way. I get that the schools are discriminating against us. Like we don't have to explain ourselves. Yeah. And it's just a big exhale and like you lower your shoulders. And so I'm sure any mama who has, is raising a kid who has a some kind of difference understands that, right? Like you yeah. need to find those people and then you need to make sure that you give yourself time with them yeah. so that you can exhale and relax your shoulders because it's such, it's a really hard work to be raising kids who don't fit in the mold. Yeah. It's really hard work to have kids who are different and you've got to allow yourself the time and the spaces, whether it's once a year, whether it's once a month, like whatever you can manage mm-hmm. to where you can just be around people who you don't have to explain yourself to, you don't have to explain your kid to, and then like let your shoulders down and recharge. Absolutely. I mean, it's like I said, on a different scale, but I even found that in homeschooling when I was a homeschooler, because not every mom gets what that's like to try to be doing the educating and try and, and, you know, be doing the parenting at the same time and the frustrations and the, you know, all of that. It's, it's kind of its own subset. And so I gravitated early on because I realized when my friend's kids were going to kindergarten and they had more time than they ever had, I was taking on kindergarten, you know, and I lost time. And so I had to find those people who had those commonalities to me to be able to, you know, text while my kid is doing math and I'm ready to pull my hair out, (laughs) you know, like we we got it. But now it's interesting because I'm not in that space anymore, but those friendships that I built around those commonalities, they lasted for so long and they went so deep that now that I'm in a totally different space, those are still my close friends, even though yeah. I'm not, I'm not married anymore. And they are married. Like we, we have more differences now almost than we have commonalities, but the, that acute thing that we kind of went through together built such a friendship that now we can be a support system to each other, no matter what it is we're facing mm-hmm. going forward, which I think if you haven't found already, you probably will find that there's going to be other things that you and your friends and your people deal with other than Down syndrome. Oh, totally. You know, and so you'll be able to, those will be the friends that are able to support you through anything. And I think it's, but it's finding that tribe of people to begin with Mm -hmm. that is so powerful. It really is. And it is, it is interesting because we have, and this is all people raising children, but we just have a lot of different groups. Like there's yeah. some diversity. So there's a Down syndrome and then we've got adoption and that's a whole other group. Yeah, yeah. Who I can sit with my friends who have adopted kids and we can talk about the hardship of adoption in a way that you really can't even talk about publicly. And, yeah. and it's that safe space of like, it's not even that you need answers. It's just that I know, I know yeah. you like to know and to be known. Yeah. It's so powerful on a motherhood journey. I think it's powerful for all people, but I really feel like in, in motherhood to be known is such a gift and a tool that you can use to spur you forward as you raise tiny humans, which is like yeah. such a crazy idea that we do this even. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. But the, like to find that commonality and then like what happened with you? Yeah. You're going to you're going to build the relationship off of that. And then once the relationships go deep, it's like everything can change and everything's fine. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I think that's just, those are the things I think can apply to all moms. But then I love the things that you move into in your book that I think are really good for us to know and learn about and think about. And um, in the chapter where you talk about the sriracha families versus the marmalade <laughs> families, you know, you, you kind of go into 
the reactions specifically to someone being told that they're going to have a child with Down syndrome Mm -hmm. and how the reactions to that are so negative yeah. And how that that formulates things in our society. I know that when my brother was born, they did not know beforehand. My mom had asked for an ultrasound, but back then they didn't do them. Mm. And so he was born vaginally, which he probably shouldn't have been. And he, they the doctors came to her after they whisked him out of the room and said, your son has spina bifida. Um, would you like us to just go ahead and let him go and oh not do anything gosh. for him? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And my mom said her reaction, like she didn't even get to that like grief place. She just went straight to, um, of course not do everything you can for my baby. We're going to do whatever it takes to help him and make him well, you know? And so I, I've always thought that was really interesting because I know everybody reacts a different way, but she, she didn't really, she like skipped the grief place and just went right to action. To mama bear. Yeah. 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 And I mean, she kind of had to, cause they were just going <laughs> to let him die, but you know, she, she just went there and I, I, yeah, I just, I like that you brought up that negative sense that we have that right from the beginning mm-hmm. and how that should be addressed differently all the way around. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, and that's the, this phrase, like narrative shifting, that's the goal here, that yeah. there's a narrative yeah. that having a child with Down syndrome is bad. It is negative. Yeah. Having a child who has any kind of difference is negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're shifting that narrative. We're saying, actually, it's not. We've, we've been getting it wrong. And in the Down syndrome community, termination rates are, they've just skyrocketed. Yeah. The people, there's 30% less people with Down syndrome in the United States today than there were a few years ago. Wow. Um, the, the termination rate in the United States is anywhere between like 65 and 95%, depending on what state you're in. Um, wow. And in certain countries, like a few years ago, Iceland came out with this whole article that they've eradicated Down syndrome. 100%, oh. 100% of babies um, diagnosed in utero have, were terminated. And so there's like this goal yeah. to get rid of the things that are different and that we're afraid of. And so women when they get this diagnosis, it is usually presented negatively. And I'll, I'll side note here, there are some incredible medical professionals who are getting it right and who are giving accurate information and who are presenting a diagnosis in a way that's helpful for women who are getting this diagnosis. But more often the story is, I mean, just horrific situations of the expectation is the term, if it's in utero, then there's an expectation that a termination will happen solely based on a downstream diagnosis. And then when it's, if it's at birth and at birth diagnosis, then it's just like a lot of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry yeah. from the people in the room. And so those of us who have a loved one with Down syndrome, we're not all saying it's rainbows and unicorns. Like it can be sure. really, really hard. And all of our kids are different, you know, and yeah. not even though they have Down syndrome in common, we all have very different children with different experiences during life and different needs. But we are all saying, wait a second, Every mother I know who got that Down syndrome diagnosis and it was a devastation has come to the other side of things and then are like, what are you talking about? Like, this is, this has been the gift of my life or yeah. this is totally, this, my child's totally worth life. And yeah. why do all of us parents, the majority of parents who have a child with Down syndrome feel so positive about it, yet the reaction is so negative. And so it's the things like you can't know what you don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. The medical community needs to be held accountable. They need to definitely be more educated. And, and I think at the end of the day, and I write about this a little bit in the book, 
It's like, how can we, and this is a great, your brother's a great example. Like, how can you look at a brand new life that's just seconds or minutes old and determine their future? Yeah. Like that it's absurd. And the amount of people I know, and this was our daughter, our daughter was told she's not going to live very long. She had a lot of health issues aside from Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. And it was like, she might only live to be five years old. And just to set up a parent in a way that's like your child, the, your child's future is hopeless. Mm -hmm. It's like, come on. How many people yeah. do you know that had something happen at the beginning of their child's life that it was hopeless and then they're on the other side of it. And it's like, are you kidding me? My child has a, an amazing full future ahead of them. Yeah. How do we determine that in the first few seconds of life? It's, yeah. it's crazy. It really is. It's crazy to me. So definitely can be doing better, but um, well, there are a lot of us in the Down syndrome community who are working really hard to, to shift that narrative, to make sure mm -hmm. that women know the truth about, about their diagnosis. Yeah. I, I love the list that you give yeah. where it's like things to actually say to a mom who's just had a Down syndrome child. Like, I'm sorry, your vagina hurts. Right. <laughs> like that. I was like, yes. Yes. Like, <laughs> point out the normalcies, point out right. the things that she's going through that everybody's going through. And, you know, like not to discount what is happening because it is, you know, it's a lot to wrap your brain around and Absolutely. deal with, but, but also like, validate her in those ways and and congratulate her right. because this is still a life and it's a life that's here for a reason. I mean, also in a different way, but I remember a few years back, a friend of mine got pregnant out of wedlock. And my first reaction to her was, congratulations. And right. she was like, wait, what? And I was like, well, baby's here now, you know, right, <laughs> like, right what, what are we, what are we going to say? Like, oh, that's, this child is terrible because they're here. Like, no, whatever it was that got them here or led them here, they're here. Right. So they deserve to be celebrated. Absolutely. So let's celebrate them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. And to look at, like, I love, I love what your mom said. And I hate that that was her situation with your brother, but there is a sense that, which is so crazy about an in utero diagnosis for Down syndrome. Um, because a lot of women have said it was like it if they got an in utero diagnosis and chose to to carry to full term and to parent, it's like they just needed to get that little human in their arms. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. Oh, wait a second, here's my this is my kid. And then yeah. this person, like for your brother, like he has now taken his first breaths. This is your mother's child. And what are you gonna do for your kid? Everything. You're gonna do everything for your kid. Yeah. Um, so to have that, but that's an interesting conversation. I don't know why why I'm bringing it up, but to have that like pre-diagnosis versus post-diagnosis yeah. where you like hold your baby and you're like, oh, I know you. You're my yeah. baby. There yeah, isn't like, the same sense of detachment. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Like you're a real human being and, I, and this is different. And that's the thing I think with motherhood, with, with a downstream diagnosis or with any diagnosis outside of what we were expecting, mm -hmm. I don't know that it's the actual diagnosis that's scary. I think it's the unexpected that's scary. Yeah. And I think that can yeah. go at birth or any time with our kids. Like you could use your son's example with dyslexia. It's like, it's not that dyslexia is scary. It's that what you don't know about it. It's the unknown. Yeah. And then yeah. as you get to know something, you're like, oh, this is totally, this is fine. My kid is still my kid. You know, yeah. like it, we're going to deal with the unknown. Um, and I think if we can, as parents, as moms separate those two, like, am I afraid of the, the thing, the diagnosis, mm -hmm. the label? Or am I afraid of the unknown? And to yeah. recognize like, oh, I'm afraid of the unknown. 
then I think you can um, more healthfully or more wholly continue towards whatever the journey is that you need to be on with your child, wherever they find themselves. Yeah. I think it can be on both sides of that, like the fear of the unknown shifting to the hope of the unknown. Yeah. yeah you're like them telling you, you know, your daughter's probably not going to live past five, but what if she does? <laughs> like, right. what can she do? What can, what are they capable of? And I love that you have the chapter that talks about assuming competence. Yeah. Because I think that happens across the board in so many ways when we see anyone who seems different or even, I don't know if you've experienced this, but as their parent that you just must not know. And that's one of the most frustrating things to me. And it's one of the most frustrating things that my brother still deals with on a regular basis as people assuming Right. things based on the way he looks or, you know, you just, you don't know, even within, within disabilities, within differences, there are so many different <laughs> levels of it. Absolutely. And, and you just, you can't go in assuming the worst or assuming anything. Like let's, mm -hmm. let's start from the best possible. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, that? yeah, that's definitely, like the advice that I would give to all the moms listening who are raising able-bodied neurotypical kids mm -hmm. is, is to teach your kids to view people who are different as able, yeah. as competent. And if we can start there, it is, it is the starting place. And it is like for your brother, you know, it, it's, we have to do it for all people groups because there are people with different abilities who wear their ability, right? Like your brother, mm -hmm. it is, you see it when you yeah. see him. my kids with Down syndrome, you see it when you see them, but there are people who are carrying things around, even like in the autism, autism, yeah. Community, yeah. you know, who you don't see it right away. And so it is, it doesn't matter what you're seeing initially. And with first interactions that we as adults and as parents, and that we're raising our kids to assume the best in people. And this yeah. goes to like ethnic groups. It goes to like, you know, someone walks in, wearing a headdressing you're not wearing to. We're going to teach our kids to assume the best in those people. Like yeah. someone speaks a different language or whatever. Um, yeah. we can, if we can get to that point of we're going to assume competence, we're going to assume that people can, that they're able because they are right. Like yeah. they're, they are, and we're going to focus on ability. We're not going to focus on disability. We're going to look at their different ability as an asset, not as a deficit. Like mm -hmm. people look at my kids with Down syndrome and think deficit. It's like, no, yeah. no, no, no their Down syndrome is actually an asset to them, to mm -hmm. our family and to this world. So yeah. we're going to see the parts of them that are, they're not only Down syndrome, they are a whole human being. It is yeah. one aspect of them, but we're going to see that aspect as a great thing, not yeah. as something that we wish we could change. Yeah. And, and if parents can get their themselves to do that and then teach their kids, assume yeah. the best, assume the best, assume the best, it will make a huge impact on, on the world. Seriously. <laughs> Yeah. And, and even I think as someone who's parenting someone by assuming competence, which I think you kind of talk about in the book, like looking at school and that sort of thing for your kids, starting out from the place of thinking that even if they can't do it now, that they can. I think that if you parent from a place of assuming competence, it allows your kids the room to take on more things. Yeah. Like if you parent them from this place, like, oh, they're probably not going to be able to do that. So I'm just going to do it for them. It ends up limiting them. <laughs> Speaking from someone who's yeah. seen it happen. Like if the more you mm -hmm. assume they can't do, the less they're going to do. 
Yeah. And you know what? I'll be real honest here with my oldest Mason, who's 10, who's 11. And my, then my son, August is five. He also has Down syndrome. They're very, very different, like mm-hmm. different. I'm as sure. But when Mason was five, we were doing this reading program that my son is now doing. And I didn't really do it with her. Cause I was like, Oh, she can't read. Yeah. And I'm her mom. Like I believe, I believe so much. There's nobody on this earth cheering her on more than I am. I like believe so many of the lies that I've just been living in, in terms of people with Down syndrome, people who are different. And with my son, he's five. We're like, of course he's going to read. Totally shifted. Like even in my own parenthood, I've shifted in believing and assuming competence for my kids. But I, it took me years to get there even, even as myself. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think a word to all the parents out there as parents, when our kids are different, are we believing the best in them, you know? And, and are we seeing them as totally able or are we believing the can'ts that we've been told about their diagnosis or about the thing. And I think that power of believing, assuming competence and believing the best in our kids really does affect the outcome of where they end up, you know, and, and their abilities and what they can, what they end up doing for sure. Yeah. Because I think that it's one thing to even be assuming competence of our kids when they're young, but to be thinking about how assuming competence helps to shape them into being the adults that you want them to be mm-hmm. and offering them the life skills that you want them to have because I've seen it happen where you just assume they're not going to be able to take on certain life skills and so you don't bother you know mm-hmm. and that's not doing anybody any favors that mm-hmm. and so I just think that's so important to be parenting from that place that you're talking about of assuming competence and it can be hard and it's definitely a growing thing, but you are doing your children so many favors to the adults that they're going to be. Yeah. And I think that's, that's commendable. And it's something that needs to be taught for all of us to assume that, you know, we're, we're parenting our kids to become adults. Right. And so assuming that they can do things and teaching them to them. Definitely. And I think that, that you have to be careful too to not go too far. Like if you want, assuming competence is not forcing your kid to be the person you want them to be. Oh, you know what absolutely. I mean? Yeah. And I don't hear you saying that at all, but just like a word to everybody listening. Like it doesn't mean that you're going to assume that your child will get straight A's so that they will get into the best college, so that they will become whatever. Like that's not what we're talking about here, no. right? It's seeing your child as they are. It's actually quite the opposite. I think like it's seeing yeah. your child as they are and assuming the best in who they are, right. And yeah. their actual skill sets. Um, and cheering them on as they are, you know? I think more what I'm feeling like is like, but not selling them short. Totally. You know, like just because you're in a wheelchair doesn't mean you can't figure out how to do your laundry. (laughs) You know, like that is possible. (laughs) Right. You need to be taught how to do it. Definitely. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think that it's actually very freeing. Like we've talked about seeing your kids for who they are. It's like, I've told my son, like, I don't expect straight A's out of you. Mm-hmm. Like I, and I was, you know, valedictorian and I was like, those things were so important for me. And I want to make sure my kids know, like, I don't expect that out of you unless that's what you're capable of doing. Totally. <laughs> you know, like my daughter, I'm going to be a little harder on her <laughs> about her grades yeah. Yeah. than my son. I said, I just want you to do the best you possibly can do. And if you're doing that, then I don't expect anything else. Like yeah. that, that is all I want from you. If a B is the best you can do, awesome. If it's even less than that, as long as you're putting all your hard work into it, that's what I care about. I care about the character that you are creating for yourself 
by how you do your work and that sort of thing. So, yeah, definitely. I hear yeah. you for sure. So, and you've kind of already addressed this, but what else would you have to tell families about how they would, you would want them to approach you or approach your kids mm-hmm. or like, wh- how do you want to see that landscape shift? What do you want people to know? Yeah. Um, the younger your kids are, the easier it is to create an inclusive space for them. Um, little kids are so curious and forgiving and innocent in their curiosity mm-hmm. and they want to learn and they're not afraid and they don't have those weird filters built up that, you know, different is bad or different is scary. Yeah. So I think like the younger your kids are, now is the time to introduce them to people who are different and you have to find them. That's the tricky part about this conversation. I can't say like, call this number and you will have a child with Down syndrome at your door. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Like it's, yeah. it depends on where you live. It depends on your community, but there are very, it's very likely that there's someone in your community who has a different ability mm-hmm. and your kid is curious about that person. So let them be curious. And I'm using air quotes, like normalize it as much as you can. So yeah, in our home, everybody's different. We have like a very different group of kids up in our house. Yeah. And so we've said from the very beginning, we talk about differences and we talk about how everybody's different. is not awesome. And so for example, my daughter, who's now eight, like all little toddlers, when she was two, three, four years old, she would point at people and be like, why are they like this? You know? Mm-hmm. And the conversation was, oh yeah, babe. Cause they're different. Remember everyone's different. It's great. And we yeah. can move on, but we didn't shush her. We didn't pull her yeah. away. We weren't like, oh my gosh, so embarrassed. And then depending on the situation, if she had a question, then it'd be like, why don't we go ask? And as a yeah. parent, like that's terrifying. You don't want to walk up to someone in a wheelchair and be like, hey, can you tell us why you're in a wheelchair? But you have to use wisdom and discernment and your adult knowledge when that's appropriate or not. And a lot yeah. of the times it is, you know, like I know for me personally, I would love people to walk up and ask us the questions that they have about Down syndrome and have their, teach their children how to do that in a way that's respectful, you yeah. know, rather yeah. than like, why is her tongue out? I mean, we get this stuff all the time. Yeah. And oh, then I being like, no, no, no. I'd rather have them already have the conversation at home that when you yeah. see someone who's different and you're curious, come talk to mommy or daddy or grandma and we can think of a, a respectful way to yeah. approach that person. And then together we can say, hey, is it okay if we ask you a question? Yeah. Um, we noticed that you're in a wheelchair. Would you mind sharing with my child why that is? And they might be like, no, I'm not going to. And then you're going to be like, okay, that's their right to say no. But I think that we need to let our kids be curious and teach them how to ask questions the right way. And I think so much of it comes down to those assumptions. Again, like you'd much rather have people have the correct information than just make something up (laughs) for why that might be here. You know, it's, I think we're empowered by knowledge and, and knowing. I loved what you said about, you know, making it normal. And I don't know if this is the case for your middle daughter, but I know that it was for me as I didn't notice the differences mm-hmm. really. Like it was my normal for my brother to have these issues. Like mm-hmm. I was literally 15 when somebody told me, well, because of your brother's speech impediment. And I was like, what speech impediment? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're right. like, he doesn't talk the way everybody else does. <laughs> he doesn't? Like, oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. I, I never heard it because I was just so used to it. And I had a friend who... Um, had a sister who had differences and it, she felt it a little bit more acutely. And like, she was in like a group for, you know, siblings who were part of that and she needed that. And that was yeah. great for her. But it was so funny to me. She came to me one time and was like, do you want to be a part of this group? 
I was like, why would, why would I be a part of the group? <laughs> it's like, well, because of your brother. I'm, oh, I forgot. That's funny. Yeah. Like, I just, it can be normalized if we let it. And it's different when you're in the family. And especially I think if you're as a sibling, because it's just really all, you know, Yeah. you know, but, but if we can just get to that place where we see them as just people, right. Then it's, it really changes everything. It really does. We have a t-shirt that says different is the new normal. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the lesson. Like in, and it, if you're in a homogenous space and your family is, you know, everyone's kind of the same and there's no different abilities and whatever. Um, then I think it's a super important as parents that we have books that represent diversity, that we, our shows watch, our kids watch shows with diversity. We, if we're on social yeah. media, that the accounts we follow have diversity. And, you know, there's such easy tools out there. If you're raising little kids, like really great books about yeah. little kids in wheelchairs. And then yeah. when your kids see someone in a wheelchair, you'd be like, oh yeah, remember the book we read about the character Emma? She was in a wheelchair. This is just like Emma. And then the kids will be like, oh, oh yeah. And yeah. so we need to be introducing our kids from the very beginning through play and toys and all the things, the inputs that they're getting. Um, about how people are different and that's not bad or scary. Absolutely. That has been a big gift, I feel like, to my kids with their uncle. Oh, I bet. Like, it just is normal. It, it is what it is. Yeah. Uncle brother's in a wheelchair. Like that's just, that's the way it is. I call, I, I probably should use his actual <laughs> name. That's the nickname. His name isn't Brad. <laughs> that's what I called him when I was little. But yep. yeah. So, I mean, it's just very like, oh yeah, they just know his legs don't work. That's just the way it is, you know? And it's not, something weird to them more than anything. It's like fighting over who gets to be in the wheelchair when he totally, yeah, that's you know. a blast. Yeah. <laughs> but then it's also teaching them like, Hey, those are his legs. You right. need to not mess with them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, but yeah, well, I just, I love the conversation that you are starting and continuing. And I think it's a really important one and it's just a really valuable work. So thank you. I, Thanks I for really, saying so. Thanks yeah. Congratulate you on on this book. And I hope it has a very widespread reach because I think it's needed. Thanks. I yeah. hope so too. I, I agree. Thank you. Yeah. So what does a typical day look like for you? We'll do typical day, not summer. Cause summer is not yeah. typical, right? <laughs> right. And book um, launch. Exactly. Not, we yeah. are in like the least typical season of yeah. life right now. Well, it, I feel like it is pretty typical. And my kid, we get up and get ready for school and getting ready for school is always a battle. Like yeah. we are not, the, my kids are not the kids who are very politely and compliantly doing all of the tasks on their chart that they've been doing for 100 days. Yeah. Now, they're still not getting to it successfully yeah. without us nagging. And then we live walking distance. So we walk to school and um, then we get going with business stuff. So emails, social media, writing, it depends what the project is. If I'm writing a talk or speaking mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. And then kids, my son comes home at 1230. My daughters come home around 230. And we have dance class or gymnastics and then make dinner. I love cooking. So my favorite time is like go outside and play so I can make dinner. Like I don't like cooking if the kids are in the kitchen Yeah, alone. It's like my very favorite. Yeah. And then we, I'd say on six out of seven nights a week, we eat dinner on the table together as a family. Nice. Um, that feels important. And bedtime 7.30 and it's the best. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. 7.30 bedtime. <laughs> um, and so it's a very normal day. I mean, yeah. we, you like sprinkle in doctor's appointments and therapies and things like that. But most days are pretty normal. We're, we're real big with community. So we have someone over for dinner or like a quick drop in most nights of the week. Nice. Um, my oldest daughter is super social and social get home from school and be like, who's coming today? 
Yeah. I'm like, babe, I don't think anyone. And then of course someone will end up coming by or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. That's, that's something I've learned, especially about my oldest this summer after he's had, you know, a year in real school, like every day since school got out, it's like, so who are we getting together with today? Like I normally am seeing my friends right now. So who, who are we going to be with? <laughs> I guess there's no question of whether you're introverted or extroverted. I love it. That's yeah. so funny. That's my oldest daughter. She's such yeah. an extrovert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what is some way that you are currently cultivating loveliness in your life? I started going to yoga and that has been a game changer for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like with the work that we do and especially owning our business, there's never a time that I can shut it off. Like we'll be in bed at night and start talking business. Like we can't talk about this in bed at night and yoga. I do a hot, I go to hot yoga and I do an intense class and it's so hard. And it's like, I can only focus on my breath through the moves. Yeah. Um, And then at the end of the yoga practice, you do Shavasana, which is like three minutes or so of just laying your final pose is just laying on your back and like being grateful to your body for getting you through it. Yeah. And it's been really sweet. And I take those few minutes to like express gratitude for the things in my life. I like will breathe in goodness and breathe out lies and, you know, like get my mind real focused on, on what it is that God's doing in my life and the things that matter. So that's been real sweet for me. Yeah. I've so had that same experience with yoga, especially after over this year and a half is like exactly what you're saying. Like I can't do anything but focus on what I'm trying to make my body do. And it's very hard for me to make my brain shut off. So the fact that I can get to that place of like only thinking about what I'm doing is, is pretty amazing. Yeah. And I will, I will tag off that for my current lovely thing is I did six weeks of private yoga therapy And that was amazing. And she created, I hope I haven't already used this as a lovely on the show, but she created a personalized yoga nidra for me, which is like this intensive, like 20 minute meditation. I know people get freaked out about that word. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's basically like walking you through, it's not even like trying to relax your body. It's just like you walk through noticing all the parts of your body. But when you do that, it kind of forces you to relax. And then like I told her the place that I feel like most at peace, like if I could go to some place in all the world, the place that makes me feel the most at peace. And she like tailored it around that and it's on this specific lake. And so she talks about the lake and the trees and the Oh my gosh. Everything. But she has trained so intensively in yoga and specifically yoga therapy that she knows how to create this yoga nidra, which is only 20 minutes long, but it's supposed to give your body the kind of rest that like a two or three hour nap would. Wow. And so sometimes in the middle of the day when I'm just feeling totally depleted, I will go lay down and play this 20 minute yoga nidra. And a lot of times I will fall asleep. In fact, I fell asleep while I was there with her. I am the only person (laughs) there with her. And I totally fell asleep. Amazing. I love it. But I like going through it, she like brings you back out of it too. And I woke up through it, not like startled, like sometimes. Oh, right, right. If like at the end of a yoga session, when you legitimately just fall asleep and then they're like ringing the bell going like, come on. Right. Yeah. But it's like, amazing. I want to yeah, do that. It was, that. it's amazing. I absolutely, you can look up like generic yoga nidras yeah. online too, but it has been so helpful to me in the season where I've had so much adrenal fatigue and just like, I'm tired all the time. And to be able to kind of get this like reboost in the middle of the day has been amazing. Love so, that. 
Yeah. Very cool. All right. Are you ready for my stock questions? I am. Okay. Candles or essential oil diffuser? Ooh, both. Okay. Cloth napkins or paper? Paper. City or country? City. Paper or digital? Both. Okay. Shopping, would you rather do it online or in the store? In store. Okay. It's four o'clock or whatever time you're making dinner and you need a mental break. Do you listen to a podcast or music? I watch a show. Ah, and what kind of show would you listen to or watch while you're cooking? Oh, like the worst ones, like Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, (laughs) (laughs) Grey's Anatomy, you know, the the things I don't have to think through. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. Chocolate, milk or dark? Dark. Sports or no sports? No sports. Live broadcasting. Would you rather broadcast or watch? Broadcast. (laughs) All right. What is your favorite movie? Um, Big Fish. Who is in that? Tim Burton's Big Fish. I don't even know. Okay. I don't, that's That's maybe the first movie I've not, I can't think of what it is. Okay. You need to watch it. I guess I do. Okay. If you were to put yourself on the crunchiness spectrum where zero is totally not crunchy and 10 is like singing Kumbaya by the fire with your legs unshaven and dreadlocks in your hair. Oh, that kind of crunchy. Where are you? Yeah. I was thinking like I'm chewing something. Um, Yeah. No. Natural. Oh, you know what? I feel like I really wish that I was a 10. And I am probably a five. All right. I'm pretty in the middle. Yeah. Well, yeah. Without, with my, in my heart, I'm a 10, but I think I'm a Californian too vain for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's a great answer. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Heather. I think this has just been such an important conversation. I hope people run out and get the book. We'll have links to it in the show notes. And I just, I so appreciate your voice on this and you coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the conversation. It was great. Yeah. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was a little bit of a doozy, huh? I hope you guys have a lot of food for thought moving away from this episode. If you would like to chat about this episode with us, we would love to have you join in the discussion in our Facebook group or even become a part of our Patreon community where we take these discussions even further. We have discussion questions each week that help you to be able to talk about it with your friends and that sort of thing. And I've been doing a live each week on Thursdays in the Facebook group for Patreon members so that they can ask their questions about the episode and we can even take the discussion a little bit farther. So you can join us at patreon.com slash cultivating the lovely to find more out about that. And of course, if you would like show notes from this episode to be able to find Heather and her resources and her book, you can go to boldturquoise.com slash 125. And as always, of course, I'm going to ask it, ladies, you know, this is coming. Would you go over and leave a rating and review in iTunes? It makes such a difference for the show. I know it seems like a really silly, small thing, but it really does leave an impact and help get the show out to other people. If you can just run over to iTunes, you can even do it on your phone, leave a really quick review, hopefully a rating of five stars. I would be so appreciative. All right. Until next week, when we are back with my new good friend, Lisa Jo Baker, go be bold and gracious. Bold and gracious.